The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
Eternal God, in the stillness of the night, you sent your almighty word to pierce the world's darkness with the light of your love. Give to the earth the peace that we long for and fill our hearts with the joy of heaven through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A very, very warm welcome to you to St. Jude's Church for our carol service. The story of our lives is linked to many people, some long ago, some far away, and some perhaps here tonight. People who have touched our lives and shaped them and made us who we are. Far away and long ago, God also chose to be linked with our lives and came to earth to touch us and shape each one of us. Listen, as we begin to tell once again the story of his coming amongst us. The birth of Jesus is foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, if you have found favor with God, you will, you will be with a child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her.
the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room available for them in the inn.
shepherds hear the good news. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.
the Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Hi, John. Didn't expect to see you here. Yes, good news, isn't it? Oh, you mean about the party? Yeah. I always thought heaven would be like a great big church in the sky, you know, rusty vicar, dusty pews. <laughs> and here we are, and it's all about a great big party. Yep. Yeah, I must admit, I thought my chances of getting in here were pretty slim. So imagine my surprise when I get up here and find I can walk straight in no questions asked. You could have knocked me down with a cherub. Well, um, I'm feeling a bit peckish, so why don't we um, get on in and uh, start the party? <laughs> why not? Oh, there is one thing. Some guy on the door, his name is Pete, kind of bouncer, I think. Shouldn't be too much trouble, just leave him to me. <laughs> Pete, hi. <laughs> we haven't met. <laughs> so, has the um, party started yet? Oh, yes, look, there's Frank. Oh, Frank, hi. <laughs> yeah, we'll be in in a moment. Yeah, mine's Halaga. Yeah. How did he get in here? No idea. 
Anyway, can, uh, can we come in? We can't come in unless we've applied to the invitation. Come on, Pete. You know us. It's Bill here and John. <laughs> you have no record of our reply. Okay, I think there's been some kind of administrative hiccup. Just wait right there, we'll sort it out. Don't go away. <laughs> what does he mean by invitation? I don't know. I think he means we have to show that we've been good to get in here. Some kind of formality to keep the riffraff out. Oh, I see. So we have to try and think about our better side, dredge up some things from the past that they might like up here. Yes, why don't I write it down? Right, yes. Okay. okay. Did you ever believe in him? Oh, um, I never doubted his existence for a moment. Good, good. Apart from those 30 years, I was an atheist. What about you? Did you go to church? Oh, yeah, I was a regular yeah. every Christmas and Easter. Oh. And you? Um, yeah, I did go. I must admit, I, I found it pretty boring. <laughs> you can't say that here. They might hear you. Oh, oh sorry, I forgot where I was. <laughs> did you ever do anything brave or heroic? Brave? Heroic? Oh, yes, there was that one time, yeah, yeah, we were on safari, we were driving through the bush, you know, women and children in the back, and suddenly we were attacked by this huge, ferocious, savage lion, and I um, got out with a Land Rover and um, wrestled with the lion single-handedly. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. When was this? About five minutes ago. <laughs> What about you? I see. Um, well, I've got something. Yep. <clears throat> I was Pontius Pilate in my school nativity play. Right. Yeah, yeah. that ought to do it. Yeah. Uh, should we have another go? Okay, but you talk this time. Okay. <sighs> Pete, hi. <laughs> We've just got some things that we want to tell you before we um, <laughs> come in. <laughs> now, um, uh, I think um, you'll find that when you look at us, when you weigh our lives in the balance, as you do up here, we're not perfect, but we're as good as, if not better than the next man. And certainly a lot better than Frank. Yeah. Now, you've probably got all this on your files, but um, <clears throat> Safari, <laughs> Pontius Pilate. <laughs> um, and we, we've read your book, and we like it, don't we? Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm. Um, to be or not to be. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, it is better for a rich man to pass through a camel. No, 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 no. It's easier for a camel to turn its other cheek. Anyway, <laughs> you know what we mean. And we like church, yeah. Great system. <laughs> oh, we, we still can't come in unless we've replied to the invitation. <laughs> yeah, we just said that before. It's just that, well, you know, going to church, good things, yeah. It's nothing to do with that. But we didn't, we didn't get an invitation. No. I did. Frank? Frank wasn't an invitation. No. To be honest with you, Frank was a pain in the neck, always going on about God. I didn't want to be like that. I definitely get, didn't get an invitation. <laughs> what? No, no, I only went in because it was raining. And Yes, there was a man at the front prattling on about God, but he was talking to the others. He wasn't talking to me. <laughs> we still can't come in unless... Look, you didn't give us much evidence, did you? Hmm? I mean, if somebody had come down from here, maybe even the boss himself, and told us all about this, and we'd have known all about the invitation, and we'd have done something about it, wouldn't we? We'd... Wait, what did you say? They didn't give us much evidence. No, after that? 
If the boss had come down himself and told us all about it, then we'd have... We'd have... Jesus. became flesh 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that comes, that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, good evening. It's a great honour to be sharing a few words now about Christmas and especially our service this evening as we've been singing. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jit. I'm one of the associate, I'm the associate vicar, actually, not one of the associate vicars. We may have more in the future. Um, and I've just started here, and uh, it's been a great privilege to get to know the church community over the last month or so. A number of you here may be new, just like me, and I hope that you found this to be a very warm welcome here tonight. Well, I want to start with a few statistics that I found about Christmas Day. Christmas Day, actually, according to UK hospitals, is one of the most dangerous in the year because people are forgetful. On a given year, it was reported on Christmas Day that 142 people were injured by forgetting to remove all the pins from new shirts. <laughs> 18 people had serious burns trying on a new jumper with a lit cigarette in their mouth, forgetting to put it out. 543 people were admitted to hospital in the last two years after opening bottles of beer with their teeth, forgetting what teeth were supposed to be used for. And 101 people over six years have forgotten to look where they're stepping and have had broken parts of plastic toys surgically removed from the soles of their feet. Oh, hands up if you've done that. Yes, a few people. Well, I wanted to begin with that because at heart, Christmas 
is about remembering and not forgetting. About remembering someone who's been very unforgettable. There's a bit of a clue in our drama earlier. Bart Simpson, in a Christmas episode of The Simpsons, asks, aren't we forgetting the true meaning of this day? The birth of Santa. (laughs) And, of course, no. Some of you might know that Christmas itself is an ancient church festival held on the 25th of December that derives from two words, Christ's Mass. It's a service of remembrance and celebration about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, who they wanted to remember, who they wanted to honour and celebrate. And even today, across the globe, two billion almost of his followers will be found in churches in many lands across the earth, celebrating and remembering his birth. Nearly one in three people. And the question I want to ask tonight is, why? Why has he been celebrated so much? Why has he been so unforgettable? Even now, 2,000 years later, why is it tonight we've been singing carols about his birth, we've been hearing eyewitness accounts of it? Why is it that our modern calendar system takes its cue from his birth? so that all the years before it were just simply known as BC, before Christ. Of course, in one sense, the birth of any baby is worth celebrating. Hence, we have birthdays. But Jesus' birthday celebrations echo down the centuries like none other. And the question is, why? Why is that? I want to humbly suggest that the answer hinges on who he is. You wouldn't celebrate and remember the birthday, unless you were slightly not with it, of someone like Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot. You just wouldn't do it. You only celebrate and remember the lives of those who are worthy of celebrating and remembering. And so is Jesus' life worthy of celebrating, worthy of remembering? Well, the modern answer to that would be probably, probably. The fiction author Terry Pratchett, in a letter to the time shortly before his death, said the following, Jesus was an exemplar of mankind, whose simple teachings about our relationships with one another are almost certainly all we would need to make this world a heaven, or at least less like the hell it is becoming. The comedian Billy Connolly said this, I don't believe in Christianity but I believe that Jesus was a wonderful man. Now, these are very high statements of praise, but I want to suggest that even these statements of praise don't do justice to the sheer volume of celebration over the centuries there has been over Christ's birth. It just doesn't match up. And the Christian claim is that Jesus, his life, the way that he lived and what he did, is unique and special, and like none other. And therefore, we should celebrate his birth like none other. The Russian author Dostoevsky, who was himself a Christian, put it like this. I believe there is no one lovelier, deeper, more sympathetic, and more perfect than Jesus. I say to myself with a jealous love, that not only is there no one else like him, but there never could be anyone like him. 
what I want to look at very briefly is what makes him stand out from the crowd as unique and special, unforgettable. Why is he worth celebrating this Christmas? And there are lots of ways we could answer that. But one way is to hear from his own lips who he claimed himself to be. From our reading in John, we heard the beginning of John's Gospel. John, an eyewitness of Jesus, writing down what he saw and what impacted him. And in that Gospel, he records that Jesus claims a lot about himself. And specifically, there are seven statements he makes about himself, seven I am statements, that, if true, make him very much worth celebrating this Christmas. I'm going to run through them very briefly. Firstly, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He says this straight after feeding the 5,000. I am the bread of life. That actually your soul's hunger is met in me. Not in my teaching or the, the bread I've just miraculously multiplied, but in me. I am the bread of life. It was the Rolling Stones who once said, I can't get any or no satisfaction. And people throughout the generations who have studied human psychology have said, most are aware somewhere within their soul there's a need, there is a hunger to be satisfied. The father of modern psychology, Freud, said this, people are hungry for love. His contemporary Jung said this, people are hungry for security. Another one, Alfred Adler, said this, people are hungry for significance. And to all these hungers, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The reason that so many people feel that there's something missing in life is that there really is. There really is. And you can try and fill what's missing with all kinds of things. With success, with love, with prestige, with money. Whatever it might be, and yet it won't satisfy. People that have climbed the rung and got to the very top of those scales have found it just doesn't satisfy that deep longing. The tennis champion and uh, commentator Boris Becker in a revealingly honest interview said this, looking back, I had won Wimbledon twice before. Once as the youngest player, I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed, money, cars, women, everything. I know this is a cliche. It's the old song of the movie and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything and yet they're so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. Sophia Loren, who at the time was one of the most famous actresses of her generation, said this. In my life there is an emptiness. It is impossible to fill. To all these yearnings, some said publicly, some just known by us privately, Jesus says, I am what's missing. I'm the missing piece of the jigsaw. We've tried every single other piece and it doesn't fit. That's because it's supposed to be me. I was always meant to be there. And here I am. I am the bread of life. Have me in your life. And that desire will be satisfied. Secondly, he says, I am the light of the world. Very apt for tonight. 
who said this in the context of a great festival celebration where there are 30-foot-high lanterns illuminating the city of Jerusalem. And he's probably standing there, and without a hint of arrogance, he stands next to them and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, many have come before him and money since him who have claimed to shed light on life's darkness, on those deep questions of purpose and meaning and destiny. Many in our own lives will have helped us along that journey to work out what life is really about, what's my life really about. And yet most of us would probably confess that we haven't got it all figured out. There's still some mysteries. And to these areas still shrouded in darkness, Jesus says, I am light. I am light that pierces through it. Those questions as to why am I really here? What's really going on in my life? Why have some things happened and not others? What's eventually going to happen to me? Jesus says, my light is the light of the world that will pierce through and illuminate your life and answer those questions. Almost like the picture of a lantern and a candle being placed in it. It suddenly lights up from the inside. And Jesus says, that's what I want to do in your life. Bring light, bring sense and meaning to it. My own experience of this has been of... uh, an analogy of almost like beforehand, seeing the world in black and white and shades of grey like old TV sets. But then, knowing Christ in my life, everything is switched on and everything becomes full, bright, vibrant, high-definition colour. That's the difference his light makes in life. He's the light of the world. Thirdly and fourthly, he says, I am the gate of life. I am the good shepherd. He says these two in very quick succession when he's arguing with some religious fellows who are claiming to be the shepherds of Israel, God's people. He says, no, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate to life that will give true life to people. And the imagery here might be a bit lost in us because shepherds back then weren't really like shepherds are now. Sheep at that time weren't enclosed in nice, safe farms. Actually, the shepherd had to be with them 24-7, guiding them, protecting them, providing for them, chasing away wolves, leading them out from the gate pen of the sheep, uh, the sheep pen every day, and then bringing them back in every evening. He did everything for them. He was with them the entire time. And when Jesus says he is the good shepherd, that gate to true life, he says that I'm the best guide for your life you could ever have. You may have had so many guides in your life, but I'm the best, because I'm never going to leave you. I know where the best places for you to graze are. I know what enemies and dangers you might face and will protect you. And at the end of the day, I'm going to bring you back to the place of safety. I don't know about you, but... The more I go on in life, the more I need those things. And Jesus says, I will do it. I will do it for you. I am the gate to life. I am the good shepherd. 
Next he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says this when one of his best friends, Lazarus, dies. And he chooses to bring him back to life. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet they will live. He proves it with Lazarus and he ultimately proves it with himself. He dies on the cross and yet defeats death in the resurrection. And he says, do you see what I've done? I can do that for you. I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, death is something that every single one of us in this place is going to face at some point. Some sooner than others. Out of 100 people surveyed, all 100 of them knew that they were going to die. (laughs) And yet, and yet in today's society, it's often something we don't really talk about until it's too late. Either we're facing it or one of our loved ones is facing it. But Jesus has no qualms about talking about it because he has hope and he gives hope. He says, I'm going to talk about this openly because I'm going to defeat it. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to obliterate death from the inside out. I'm going to show you the way that you can overcome it as well and the resurrection and the life. This summer I happened to uh, take some holidays in a place called Cape Town in South Africa. And in the middle of the city, there's this great big statue of someone called Bartholomew Dias. And he was a Portuguese explorer who, in 1488, discovered a safe route round the Cape down there, which was then called the Cape of Storms, because it was almost unnavigable. Shipwrecks were found littered across the coast, But when he found the safe route through, it was renamed the Cape of Good Hope. There was hope. There's a route around it now. Someone's paved the way. There's going to be no more shipwrecks. We can just follow his lead. And this is what Jesus does for us. He's gone before us. The way through death, into life after death. And he invites you, follow my lead. Follow my lead. I am the resurrection and the life. Sixthly and penultimately, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says this to his confused disciples who are asking, just show us God. Just show us him and we'll be okay. Show us the way to know him. And Jesus says, no, you've got it all wrong. You've missed the point. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It says very quickly, I and Father God are one. It's almost like he takes fingers that are pointing towards heaven and says, well, you point them towards heaven, but you need to turn them round, and I'm going to point them at me. It's me. I'm it. Now, at first thought, This sounds absolutely absurd. Either he's not with it, or he's evil, deliberately trying to mislead people. But a way of testing that is to simply ask, if God was to come as one of us, what would he look like? What would you expect him to do? Would you expect him to heal the sick and raise the dead? 
Would you expect him to teach profound truths and moral that changed the shape of nations for centuries? Would you expect him to fight for justice and condemn the wicked? Would you expect him to be so pure in radiant love that he would die for you, that you could know him in fullness? Would God look like Jesus? You soon realise that Jesus very much looks like what God would if he came as one of us. And lastly, Jesus claims, I am the true vine. He says this in the context of his 12 disciples, 11 at that point actually, who are hearing him the hours before his death. And he commissions them to go and do the things he's been doing. And he says this, I am the true vine. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now this imagery again might be a bit lost to us simply because we're not a wine nation. We don't produce a lot of wine. And so we don't have great vineyards. I have found since moving here recently there are local Hampshire vineyards much to my delight. As a leaving present from my uh, past job, which I left a few months ago, I was given two vines, two young grapevines. One was a white wine grapevine, and one was a red wine grapevine. It's a bit of a dig, because I knew that I liked the odd glass of wine, and they challenged me to plant them and to grow some grapes and produce them into wine. And I did this about a month ago. And it all seemed fine to begin with. I planted them very carefully. But you might remember those days where we had huge gale force winds three days in a row. And that happened straight away as soon as I planted them. And I thought, oh no, disaster. It's going to be destroyed. Wonderfully, though, the vines remained. They're strong and sturdy and resilient. In any gale, in any storm, actually, vines are the things that are going to stand firm. The present was also given to me to remind me of these words of Jesus. The need to stay close to him, to plug into him, just like branches are in a vine that then produce grapes. And that if I do that, no matter what storms, whatever gales might blow, I'll produce fruit And this speaks, of course, to the desire that most of us have to make a difference in the world, to change people's lives. Researchers have shown that the current generation of those in their 20s and 30s are more likely than any other generation before them to want to change the world for good. And the question for them and for us is, How do we do it? How do we do it? Lots of possible ways, but Jesus says, try my way. Try being connected to me. The life that changed more lives than anyone else in history, he says, try that and see what happens. See if you bear fruit. See if you change the world. Well, let me end by recapping those seven claims. He says, I am the bread of life the one who really satisfies your soul's hunger. I'm the light of the world, the one that brings clarity and meaning to life's questions. I'm the gate of the sheep, the good shepherd, the best guide in life you could ever have. 
I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who's paved the way through death, defeating it, that we might follow him. I'm the way, the truth and the life. God himself in the flesh, showing us what he's like. And I am the true vine. Be in me, abide in me, and you'll change the world. And I want to challenge you. What should your response to these things be? If personally you've come to believe that those statements of Christ are true, then your response should be to celebrate. Like no one else this Christmas, you should celebrate. Go all out this Christmas. Leave nothing behind and celebrate if this is who Jesus is. Because his birth is worth celebrating. But if you're unsure about these things, commend you still to celebrate. But also to combine that with exploring. An author called C.S. Lewis once said that these claims have either absolutely no importance because they're false or infinite importance because they're true. What you can't say is that they have some kind of mediocre, medium level of importance. These things are true. They're the most important things in the world. Christ's birth was the most important event in history, and possibly for you. But if they're false, well, they're not to be given a second thought, to be ejected with all the other myths and fantasies. Challenge you to find out. Explore and find out which it is. A way of doing that, perhaps, is that uh, in the evening services here at St. Jude's in the new year, we're going to be looking at a few of those I am sayings peering into them, asking deeper questions. A chance perhaps for you to explore. There are lots of other ways. I commend you, find out if his birth really is worth celebrating like we do. Well, let me end by wishing everyone here a wonderful, joy-filled, celebratory Christmas. Amen.
Let us pray. Holy child of Bethlehem, whose parents found no room in the inn, we pray for all who are homeless, for those who wander our streets, and for those who find no welcome even in their own home. Holy child of Bethlehem, born in a stable, we pray for all who live in poverty, for those who have no food for their children, for all who in times of vulnerability and need are denied both security and dignity. Holy child of Bethlehem, whom Herod sought to kill. We pray for all who are in danger, all who are persecuted for their faith, or abused for the color, race, or tribe of their birth. Holy child of Bethlehem, a refugee in Egypt. We pray for all who are far from those they love, for those whom work has called away, and for those driven from home by famine or war. Holy child of Bethlehem, light of the world. We pray for all who in the darkness of pain, doubt and despair cannot find their way to you. Holy child of Bethlehem, prince of love, yet rejected stranger. We pray for all who are lost and alone, and for all who weep for their loved ones. Holy Child of Bethlehem, in you the Eternal was pleased to dwell. Help us, we pray, to see the image of God in all people, everywhere. Amen.
May the humility of Mary, the courage of Joseph, the eagerness of the shepherds, the perseverance of the wise men, the joy of the angels, and the peace of the Christ child be God's gift to each one of us and to all people everywhere. And may the love of God the Father, shown to us in the birth of God the Son, and poured out into our hearts through God the Holy Spirit, fill and uphold us all this Christmas time and always. Amen. And may you have a very happy Christmas.